Well, I have a question. I have two questions to start off today. Uh, how many of you guys would like to be more content in your life? Let me guys just, okay, all right. So my next question is, how many of you guys are content with your level of contentment? All right, so, all right, so a couple of you guys, all right? Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I think probably all of us, uh, I think, except for Forrest and a couple others, uh, I think probably all of us, um, really could desire, I, I think we desire to grow in contentment, that very elusive trait. Uh, and I think sometimes we, we, we don't really think about contentment too much uh, because we kind of, it's sort of the water we swim in is, you know, we, we're raised in a certain society to desire certain things, want certain things, and it's kind of a given that it's okay for us to want this or want that. And, uh, but chances are contentment is something that you haven't probably quite mastered in life. And you think about it, I mean, if you have any kind of fears, any kind of insecurities, maybe if you have a desire for attention, um, camaraderie, maybe you've got shame, or maybe you've got guilt, or temptations, or some kind of sin that besets you, maybe a battle with, with lust, or a battle of bitterness towards certain people, people that have hurt you, maybe you've got anger issues, or some stubbornness, some defensiveness, Right, you're quick to just be kind of stubborn and defensive with things. Maybe if image is kind of important to you, being accepted, what people think about you, being well thought of, those are all tied to contentment. Contentment isn't just about money and material things. Sometimes we think sort of that way in very simplistic terms, but contentment touches everything in life. Touches everything in life. And the path to, to true contentment, unfortunately, isn't an easy one. It's a really difficult path. It's not something that just plops into your lap. God's word specifically says that we have to learn contentment. It's something we have to learn. Because we all know contentment does not come natural to us at all. It doesn't come natural. This is why one of the very first sinful words that comes out of our mouths as little youngsters, is mine, right? The first time you notice sin in your child is usually either the word mine or no, right? Just defiance, defiance. They're both words of defiance. A discontent heart at age two, one and a half or three or whatever, like we see discontentment from the earliest age, it's the first sign of sin is discontentment and defiance. And today, while we might not say it like we did when we were two years old or three years old, we still go through life looking at what others have or looking at what we don't have, whether it's material goods or if it's things like peace and quiet in the home. I just want some peace and quiet. That's why I'm in the bathroom for an hour. Right? We, whatever it is, Right? We look at what we don't have, what we do have, a desire for maybe your friends to understand you, or a desire for recognition or acceptance or getting things our way. Somehow, even in our minds and our hearts, we say, mine, mine, I, I want that, I deserve that, I need that. And this is actually where we find Paul the Apostle in this city called Corinth. You don't see it really on the surface of the text, but as we look at the other text surrounding it, you realize that Paul was struggling. He comes into Corinth struggling, struggling with contentment. So I want to pray, and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, to teach us, to use this great example of Paul, this man of faith, and his struggle with contentment, his struggle with insecurity, I want, I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to help us to, to give us a picture of ourselves so we can first see where we're falling short, where those, this, this contentment is lacking in our lives, give us conviction, but then as the Holy Spirit always does, he doesn't just leave you in conviction, that'd just be condemnation and shame, but he then points you to Jesus, he points you to the solution, he points you to grace, and he gives us the power of Christ to work in our weaknesses. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning, to give us hope, to give us faith. Father, we uh, come to you again and we thank you that you 
have worked so wonderfully in our lives. You've been faithful for so many days, so many weeks, so many months and years, for some of us decades, and you will never stop being faithful. You will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You'll always be with us as our shelter, our protector, and we can hide ourselves in you. There's no need to hide in shame, to hide in condemnation, to hide in insecurity for the things that maybe we don't have or the things that we want or our failures, our weaknesses. We don't need to hide those things or hide in them. We can hide ourselves in you. You are our confidence. You are our security. So help us, Holy Spirit, lead us into this truth today that our hearts would be transformed, that our minds would be convinced, and our souls would be at rest as we rest in you. We thank you and we love you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So when we, uh, in Acts 18, uh, looking again at uh, some of the texts that Tyler went over last week, we're just going to be looking at verse 7 through 11 and looking at some other texts that give us better context for this section in Acts. But here in Acts 18, verse 7, it says that he, speaking of Paul, left there, this is after he arrives in Corinth, left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. So this guy gets saved together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So people are getting saved. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and a half, a year and six months in Corinth, teaching the word of God among them. This is a long-term stop. He only stayed probably a few days in Athens, or a few weeks, I should say. But here he's staying a year and a half. Now, I want to show you just one quick picture, because this is amazing. This is still around, but this is in Corinth. This is the synagogue where Paul taught. Still there today, you can visit it today. This is where he taught for 18 months. Incredible that you can still see this. Next week I'm gonna show you a couple more pictures of the next scene that we'll see in the next section of 18. Uh, but this is where Paul taught in the synagogue. Uh, if you look at the big backdrop, that's right in the corner there, uh, up there, I'm just kidding. It's, welcome to, to Corinth, everybody. So. I walked in, I'm like, oh, wow, it's Greece. We're in Greece today. This, is, this works out great. But this is still standing. This is where Paul taught, where God's grace gave him 18 months of uninterrupted uh, favor, where he was able to speak and not have anyone come against him. But we have to ask this question, why did God give Paul this vision? I mean, look at these words. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking and don't be silent, for I'm with you. Why did Paul, or why did God speak this? What, what prompted God to give him this vision? What was going on in Paul's heart and mind that led God to give him this vision? I, I don't think God did it for no reason. Like Paul's like just on his A game and he's doing great. And the Lord's like, hey, don't stop. He's like, yeah, I, I know, thank you. Right? There, there's gotta be a reason why God did this. Seems very clear to me that Paul was the opposite of what God was encouraging him towards. Paul was afraid. He did not want to go on speaking. He wanted to be silent. And so God says, no, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. Seems like Paul's running out of steam. And Tyler mentioned this last week as he read from 1 Corinthians 2, okay? So this is a letter. So he's here for 18 months, then he moves on. A little bit later, what does he do? He writes a letter to these same people that he's been preaching to for 18 months. These guys got to know him. They got to know him well. And so as he moves on in his journeys, goes on another missionary trip, he's living life, and he's like, hey, I'm gonna write a letter to these people that I spent 18 months of my life with. 
And in the very beginning of that first letter, this is what he says to him in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I, when I came to you, Corinthians, you guys remember when I rolled into town from Athens? You guys remember that, right? When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't come that way. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you. If you remember in those days, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. When I got to you guys, I was a wreck. You guys know that. You remember that. You spent 18 months with me. I was a mess. I was a mess. He'd been chased out of town. He'd been beaten. And now he just came from Athens, which didn't really go that great. A couple guys here and there believed in Jesus, but you know, these high-thinking philosophers just kind of kept arguing, just sort of, you know, just, just listening, and that was about it. And these guys were so gifted at their lofty speech, and Paul, well, Paul knew he wasn't very gifted at speaking. Paul wasn't a gifted public speaker. Look what he says again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, I know what people say about me. I hear them. They say, yeah, his letters are weighty. He uses big words when he writes. He's very strong. He's a strong writer. We'll give him that. But his bodily presence, when he's here in person, it's weak. The guy's terrible in person. Read his books. Don't, let, don't go listen to him. And his speech, it's of no account. I, I've heard better. So, and Paul's very aware of this. He's like, I know what everyone says about me. I'm a good writer. I'm a terrible speaker. I know that. Right? So he comes from Athens where this is like their, their biggest export is lofty speech and wisdom. So he's probably leaving there with his tail between his legs going, what am I doing out here? I can't compete with these guys. There's like three dudes that got saved. They're smarter than me. They, they, they speak better than me. Now I'm going to Corinth where there's just all this. I mean, the Corinthian society was just so messed up and upside down. He's rolling into Corinth going, what am I doing out here? What am I doing? I, I can't can't do this he's so discouraged he's weak trembling he's in fear probably feeling like a failure and so god speaks to him directly hey i I know you want to quit i know you're tired i know you're fearful i know you're weak i know you want to stop preaching i know you want to stay silent you probably just want to go home back to tarsus But God says, no, don't be afraid. But go on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you. I'm with you. Even though Paul had so many reasons, actually, to be encouraged. Silas and Timothy finally show up, so he's got reinforcements, right? He meets Priscilla and Aquila, gets a job, he has financial support. People are getting saved. Even the ruler of the synagogue got saved, Crispus, and a few others got saved, God tells him, hey, you've got 18 months. <laughs> You're not going to be touched by anyone. If he counted his blessings, you would think that he wouldn't be so discouraged and fearful. But yet he still had fear and weakness. I suppose it's maybe surprising to us because sometimes we wrongly think that being a Christian, or at least being a good Christian, means that you're always on your A game. If you're a good Christian with real faith in the Lord, you're always on your A game. We, we think that, and that's, that's just wrong, right? We always have big faith. We're always strong and resilient that you're always taking every thought captive. And while that is ideal, it's also not reality. It wasn't reality for Paul. It's not reality for Paul. It's not reality for us. And you can make an argument in a different way without the sinful element. You can make an argument that it wasn't reality even for Jesus, who was a human limited to a human body. Right? He had his own weeping over Jerusalem. Right? He, had, he had all kinds of different things. But with Paul, we have this sinful element as well because he was a weakened man, weakened by sin. And that's us. Paul arrives in Corinth physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. Even though he has many reasons to be thankful, to be refreshed, to be encouraged. And that actually encourages me because... I find myself in that place somewhat often. I'd be lying to say I was always on my A game as a human being, as a a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a friend. There's times and even seasons that I'm just, I'm not. 
And surely the, the pockets of encouragement and rest that the Lord brings to me from the quote-unquote sort of Priscilla and Aquilas and the Silas's and Timothy's in my life, the encouraging reminders of, of friends and family and believers in my life that are growing their faith, those things, they bring needed refreshment and perspective. But like Paul, sometimes even those good things that God blesses me with abundantly, sometimes even those things don't drive the fog away in my mind, in my heart. Those bring needed refreshment and perspective, but sometimes it just it doesn't make everything, all the discouragement, go away. Now, think about your own life. Think about the things that bring discouragement, that kind of bring a bit of that mist or that fog, maybe make you a little bit spiritually lethargic, maybe a little emotionally drained. Maybe it's personal sin that you deal with, nagging sin that you just can't seem to shake. Maybe it's marriage stresses, because you're not clicking quite with your spouse. Parenting issues, it's exhausting raising kids. It's not easy. It wears you out on all fronts. Maybe it's financial instability. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's your parents' health or relatives' health. Strange relationships in your life, just awkward tensions, brokenness, griefs or sorrows. I mean, you name it. Any area in life where you feel like maybe you're, you're failing, you just don't, you're not living up to the expectation that maybe others have put on you, maybe you've put on yourself, whatever it is, these things, they bog us down. Even though there's lots of other things that encourage us in life, but these things sometimes, they just, they, they take up a little more rent space in your mind, in your heart. And that's just kind of being normal. That's just being a human. And it's verses like these and examples like these in God's word and Acts and in First and Second Corinthians that remind me that it's actually in my weakness. It's in my weakness that I find true, actual strength. This is where I find strength, a strength that I could never muster up on my own. This is how God teaches me contentment. Not that I've arrived at that at all. <laughs> But over the years, as I've grown in contentment, it's been through this path of weakness and being broken down and having this fog in my life, those are the moments that have actually taught me the most about contentment. I'm not taught the most about contentment when I've got everything going in my life. That's easy to be content when life is going really well on all fronts, right? It is through weakness and hardship and challenge that is when we're truly taught, we're on that path towards real, actual, deep contentment. Deep contentment that transcends the emotional, spiritual, physical, all the different things. Now let's look at what else Paul tells these Corinthians. Because uh, what I love about First and Second Corinthians is it gives us sort of like a, uh, what happened next after Acts 18, right? Paul's moved on, he's kind of grown in his faith, the gospel's going out, we, so we kind of get to see this sort of flash forward in his life. We see him beaten up and tired and exhausted in Acts 18, but we have First and Second Corinthians and the other epistles that were after this Acts 18, but we have First and Second Corinthians specifically to show us this flash forward of what happened to Paul after this. So look what he says in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. A lot of you guys know this verse, very famous kind of well-quoted verses. But seeing it in context with this trip to Corinth is awesome. So to keep me from becoming conceited, anyone here struggle with conceit or arrogance, self-reliance, self-righteousness, again, defensiveness, maybe some stubbornness, anger, right? being easily frustrated. Those are all, they're all cousins. Those are cousin sins. And their granddaddy is pride, conceit, right? So all those things are related and they all come from that root of pride. And so Paul says, hey, to keep me from that, to keep me from those things, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So something was given to Paul. We don't know what it was, an ailment, a sickness. We don't know, but something to keep him humble, to keep him, to keep him weak. And that's the key here. God gave him something to keep him perpetually weak. This is a good thing, a good thing from God. Now, even though it's a messenger from Satan, whatever that means, 
but it was to keep him from becoming conceited, something to keep him weak. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He asked, God, would you just take this from me? Whatever this thing that's befalled upon him, that's bothering him, whatever it might be, he's like, Lord, would you please take this? This is painful. It's creating weakness in my life. And I begged the Lord to take it from me, that it would leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient. That's enough for you. You don't need this thing to be gone. I know you'd like it to be gone. You've told me. You keep nagging me about it. But my grace is good enough. It's sufficient for you. For my power, God's saying my power, God's power is made perfect in Paul's weakness. So if, if Paul wants God's power in his life, then Paul's weakness, Paul's weakness has to be put on display. If, he, if Paul wants God's power, that's going to come through Paul's weakness. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. You want my power? You got to display your weakness. You need to walk in your weakness. And so Paul says, therefore then, so in light of that, because God told me this, here's what I decided I'm going to do. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. If I get God's power by walking in weakness, I want to boast. I want everyone, everyone to know about my weaknesses because I want more of God's power. I want, to, I want to live there in my weakness, limping through life, staying close to him because I recognize I don't have what it takes to get through this life. I don't have what it takes to raise my kids, to be a godly husband or wife, to be a, a believer who holds fast to Christ. I can't do that on my own. And when we admit that, when we confess these weaknesses, God's like, finally now I can fill you with me. I can give you my strength because you've stopped just messing around with your piddly little strength. It wasn't even that good in the first place. You thought it was better than it is. It's not very good. But now that you actually have just let loose and said, hey, here's all my weaknesses. Now God's like, and now, now I can work with something here. Now I'm going to really help you find true strength. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So for the sake of Christ then, I'm, here's the word, content. I'm content with weaknesses. I'm totally content with admitting my weaknesses where I feel like I'm just not very good, right? I'm not a good public speaker. I know what they say about me. I'm fine with it. I'm content with my weaknesses. I'm content with the insults, whether it's about his public speaking or whatever. I'm content with the hardships I have to face. I'm content with the persecutions I deal with and all the calamities that come upon me because here's why, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's when I find real, actual strength. You've heard me quote before this, this great little quote, when we get to the end of ourselves, we get to the beginning of Christ. Paul's at the end of his rope right here, rolling into Corinth. He's done. He's done. And the Lord's like, no, no, we're going to keep going. I'm going to show you something, Paul. In your weakness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you real strength. I mean, I feel like Paul right here in Athens, he's getting a recharge that's coming from the Lord directly. This is God's strength falling upon Paul in Corinth because he is at his wit's end. He is done. Because after this, when we see his writings, he's reflecting back on a time. He's going, man, I was done, Corinthians. You saw it in person. I was a train wreck. But look at me now. I'm content with my weaknesses now. I was so ashamed of them when I rolled into Corinth. But now, look, I am so content with them. And I want you to learn that same contentment. That's why he's writing to them. Because they saw his discontentment when he came into Corinth. They saw his weakness. They knew he wanted to give up. He didn't, probably didn't keep that. I mean, we know he didn't keep that vision a secret because he at least told Luke and Luke wrote it down. He's probably telling people, hey, I got to recharge. The Lord spoke to me. I'm going to keep going, but I'm going to do it in his strength. And so now he's telling the Corinthians, not just in the first letter, but the second letter, like, hey, you guys remember what a wreck I was? God has changed my life. He has worked in me. 
Now think about this in your own life. Paul coming into Corinth with fear and trembling, knowing that people talk smack about his speaking, discouraged, wanting to quit. And later on, he's now sharing with these Corinthians, you saw me when I got there, but I've grown now. So I have to ask all of us now, ask myself, ask you, what are those, those hardships, those fears, those, those insecurities, the insults? Think about, and I, I don't want you to like live and dwell in like fears and insults right now in this actual moment, but I do, all, I do kind of want you to really specifically think about some things in your life. Not for the purpose of dwelling on them right now, but I want the Lord to bring these things to mind for you right now because you got to attack those things. You can't just brush them under the rug and just hide them and, oh, I got this. I'll deal with this. I, I kind of I want you a little bit right now to think of some specific things, hardships, fears, insecurities, insults that have been thrown at you, weaknesses, the weaknesses in your life that are just debilitating, for some reason, they, they just bring a fog that even though you have all these other blessings you can count, just like Paul, but for some reason, also like Paul, you're hindered. You just, you've got this, this fog, pains and sorrows, shame, maybe things in your past, past things that haunt you, things you've done to yourself or to others or things that people did to you. What are the things that are potentially or maybe really actually Stopping you from moving forward in your growth in Jesus Christ. Because this almost caused Paul to stop. This almost hindered Paul from growing in his faith and growing in the mission that God called him to. And you might not be a missionary like Paul, but Paul also didn't have kids like some of you guys. So in one sense, we're all on the same mission to bring glory to Christ, bring the gospel to the nations, but we also have sort of these little subdivisions of different ways that God has called each and every one of us to live our life for the glory of God. With parenting or marriage or work or school or whatever it is, whatever that is, there are things that are hindering you, that are holding you back. They grip you in a way that's just different. Even though you've got all these other things that you can say, yes, God is blessing me here and there, but this thing just captures my mind. And they might prevent you from moving forward and growing in your faith, growing in your love for Jesus Christ. It might be hindering you from freedom, from real liberty. So, I mean, it might be fear of the future. It might be loss, death or divorce or loss of a friendship or abandonment from people that you trusted. Maybe it's anxiety that just grips you and plagues you or depression as I mentioned, parenting challenges, marriage challenges, sin that just won't go away, discontentment with your current situation, whatever that is, whatever that is, there's a good chance that rather than becoming content with those weaknesses, because that list, that's hard to become content with. So there's a good chance that instead of becoming content with our weaknesses, instead we try to, we try to hide them. Right? We try to cope with them in unhealthy ways. Maybe we try to polish them up a little bit. We try to excuse them, justify them. We don't want others to see them, so we, we bottle them. We fear what others might think if we confess our weaknesses, our insecurities, our fears. And so we compensate by portraying a, a different image to others that we can control. We want to control the narrative of what other people see in our life. This is why, this is why we love social media. It's why there's such an addiction to social media, because you can control the narrative. But in reality, those things are actually controlling us. Those insecurities and fears, we try to create a narrative and an image that we can control, but in reality, those things are gripping us so much that they are controlling us. They are our functional gods. Because we're building a narrative. We, we want people to think a certain thing about us. Our insecurities cause us to not want to reveal or show weakness, but instead put on some kind of picture that, that you've got things under control. I've got this. Rather than freely admitting those weaknesses. This is, church, this is called fear of man. This is not fear of God. This is fear of man. 
And Paul flat out rejects that approach, putting on some kind of show, putting on some sort of dressing ourselves up to make us look more holy than we are, more put together than we really are. Paul rejects that. Because we don't realize that by hiding these things and putting on our church face, putting on our good parenting face, our good marriage face, our good Christian face, by hiding these things and not just openly and confidently accepting them and boasting in our weaknesses amongst each other, knowing that we've all got weaknesses, we got nothing to hide here, church. I, I know that each and every one of you guys crucified Jesus Christ. I know that already. So anything beyond that is kid play. You realize that? Any sin you can confess in this room right now is nothing compared to the fact that you crucified the Savior of the world. Right, so that should make confessing sin easier. Right? I already know the worst thing about you. You realize that? And you know the worst thing about me. We know the worst thing about each other, and yet we hide the smaller sins. They're all small compared to killing Jesus. All of them. Right? The, the, the dirtiest mind you might have, the most covetous mind you might have, the heart of jealousy and bitterness you might have, nothing, nothing compared to killing Jesus. We got nothing to hide, church. We have nothing to hide. And yet, we hide. We don't realize that by hiding these things, it actually stops us from growing. It stops us from being free from them. It stops us from doing and being what God has actually called us to do and to be, the kind of husbands or wives that he desires us to be, the kind of teenagers or kids, the kind of parents, the kind of friends. It's actually preventing us. We think that by putting on the, the look of it that we're actually accomplishing it, but we're not. We're doing the opposite. Putting on a good show does not mean that that's what you are. It's, it's fake. These weaknesses could have sidelined Paul if he just moped in them, hid them, bottled them. But instead of hiding them, he learns. He learns to admit them and boast in them. He faces them. He embraces them. In your notes, it says this, we should desire to build our character and not protect our image. Those are two very different things. Your character and image are two different things. Reputation is what people think you are, but character is what you really are. We care too much about our reputation, our image, when we should be caring about our character. We should be caring about our, our personal holiness, our righteousness before the Lord. So what are those weaknesses in your life? And do you believe, do you believe that you can become content with them, confident in them? Yep, I, I struggle with this. I do this. And I don't mean in this you know, arrogant, um, lethargic way, like, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm, I do this. That's just how I am. I'm not talking about apathy, very different than contentment. I'm talking about being confident. Yep, I am a sinner. I, this is, these are the struggles I have, and I am not ashamed to admit it because I know that I have a Savior that paid for my sin. And I need to confess these things because I need help with it. If I just keep it quiet, I'm not gonna get any help. I need help. That's contentment. You're content that your righteousness is in Jesus Christ, not in yourself. That's true contentment right there. I can, I can freely admit my sin because I'm content that my righteousness does not come from me anyway. This is easy, confessing sin. And if we don't do this, church, we're going to be hindered just like Paul was on the verge of being hindered. And that would then result in God not receiving glory in and through your life in the ways that he desires for you. And then you'll be even more dissatisfied with life if you don't learn contentment because you won't be living the life as God intended. God will be robbed of glory and you'll be robbed of joy. It's so backwards. We think that getting contentment is hiding things, but then we just rob ourselves. We rob ourselves. It's crazy. Now, part of the secret of finding contentment we find in a, a very popular verse it's usually used out of context usually in youth sports philippians chapter 4 paul says again paul is a different church here but he says we already saw philippi this was in one of his first church plants with lydia he says i'm not speaking of being uh, not that i'm speaking of being in need for i've learned here's this word learned i've learned in whatever situation i am to be content 
I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in, every, in, and every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and also of hunger, of abundance and also of need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Twice in this passage, Paul says that he's learned contentment. Right? This isn't just plop in our laps. It requires effort. Effort on our part. Remember we've talked about reps. Doing the right reps. Remember Paul told Timothy, train yourself. Do the right reps. Practice for the purpose of, he says, godliness. We can say also train yourself for the purpose of contentment. You've got to do the reps. You've got to do the work. Uh, the author of Hebrews says it's by constant practice that we attain these types of things. And it's fascinating that in these two sections of Scripture, both in 1 Corinthians 12 that we saw about the thorn in the flesh, but also this one I just read, Philippians 4, we have both the word contentment in both of them, right? In 2 Corinthians, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses. And also in Philippians 4, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he has contentment in both these sections, but also in both of these sections, 2 Corinthians and Philippians, to two different churches, we don't just have the word contentment, the topic of contentment, but we also have mentioned Paul's weaknesses being replaced by God's strength. Two different letters to different churches that mention contentment coming from Paul's weakness that comes through God's strength. So this is a secret to learning contentment. Look again at 2 Corinthians 12. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. God's power is made perfect in Paul's weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Right? Why? I mean, this is, this is what God is showing Paul. I am going to give you my strength through your weakness. And here's why. So the power of Christ may rest upon me. I mean, why would you boast in your weakness? That just seems so foolish. But Paul knows, here's why, so that the power of Christ would rest upon me. And then he goes down, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And Philippians 4 talks about getting God's strength. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the secret of true contentment comes from admitting our weaknesses, freely confessing them, Boasting in them even, so much so that we realize our only hope is in Christ. That's all we've got. We, we look behind us, we've got nothing else. Our strength is gone. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians again, in the very beginning of this letter. He says, I don't want you to be aware, speaking to these Corinthians again, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. So this also, Paul again, he goes, I was beyond my strength. I was empty. I had nothing left in the tank. So much so that we despaired of life itself. We wanted to die. So this time rolling into Corinth, this isn't the only time that he was at his wit's end. He says, we wanted to die. I ran out of strength. I had nothing left. Indeed, we felt we received the sentence of death. We thought God was going to let us die. That's how bad it got. But look what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, and our own strength to get us through these perils, these hardships. But it was to get us to rely on God who raises the dead, to rely on God's strength because they're like, we got nothing left. We are empty. We are not on our A game. We have no strength. We want to die. I want this to be over and God allowed this into Paul and his companions' lives so that they would not depend on themselves, but they would rely rather on the God who can raise the dead. And he says he delivered us from that deadly peril and he will deliver us on him, on him, not on us, not on circumstances, not on our spouses, not on our kids' obedience or lack of obedience, on nothing else, but only on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God's economy, church, God's ways are completely opposite of the world's ways. Weakness is the way to strength, church. Weakness. Your, your weakness specifically is the way to true strength. You try to walk around in your own strength and putting on a good show that you're such a good Christian, you will not have God's strength. You'll have yours, and it's, it's terrible. 
It's terrible. You want God's strength? Weakness is the way. Becoming just so open and honest about your weaknesses, your doubts, your fears, your insecurities, all that stuff. It's freeing, it's liberating. Because not only just you're going, hey, you all know how I am now. I got nothing to hide. But also now you get God's strength to fall upon you. God's strength comes to us through vulnerability, through honesty. It's only then that you are truly walking in the strength of Christ Almighty. Until then, we run the risk of not growing, not fulfilling the mission that Christ has for us. I want to close just with a a couple practical things. Um, Paul tells the Thessalonian church, he says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. So challenge, if you're being idle, I-D-L-E, not I-D-O-L, admonish the idol, people who are kind of just sitting on their hands, not really growing in their faith, they're not really doing much, admonish them, challenge them, right? Don't, not, not, not yell at them and, you know, condemn them, but admonish them, challenge them. But he also says, encourage the faint-hearted, right? Paul, in this time in Acts, he's faint-hearted. Help the weak, and he says to be patient with them all. So I want to just admonish the idle for a moment and encourage and help the weak. Because some of you are faint-hearted. Some of you are experiencing weakness. But some of you are maybe being a little idle in your pursuit of faith. So for the weak and the faint-hearted, I'm just going to read you that first half of God's vision to Paul. If you're weak, faint-hearted right now, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But keep going, because God is with you. He is with you. Whatever challenge went through your mind earlier in the sermon, whatever it is that you're dealing with, facing with, insecurities, fears, sin, whatever, keep going, keep fighting. God is with you. Now, unfortunately, I can't read the second half of that vision because that was really specifically for Paul. He says, no one will attack you to harm you. Right, I can't tell you that one. That was for Paul. But I believe this first half, this could be for all of us. God is with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of your weaknesses. Don't be ashamed of your insecurities. Don't be ashamed of the things that maybe you're not as good at this as that person or whatever. Because God is not ashamed of you. You're his son. You're his daughter. He knows you're weak. He knows it. And he wants his strength to be in you. He wants you to confess and admit and become content with your weaknesses because he wants his strength to be in you so that you can keep going and push through. And I'm not talking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, getting your game face on. I'm not talking, I'm not, this, you got this. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about boasting in your weakness. Boasting in your weakness. You're, you're empty And it's by admitting and boasting in that real, actual weakness, not hiding your weakness, but rather hiding yourself in Christ. And I tell our our baseball players, you know, they they come to practice for a game and maybe they've had a long week, they've, you know, had tests, they're not doing well at school, maybe their parents are going through some arguing or fighting. And so I just know that when we get there on Saturday, you know, they're they're teenage boys, their hormones are all whatever. So I go, I know, I I, I tell the boys constantly, I don't expect 100% from you guys today. Some of you guys are operating at 30%. You're operating at 70%, 50%, whatever it might be. Maybe you're nursing a, a hurt foot, whatever. But what I am asking you boys is I want you to give me 100% of your 30%. Give me 100% of your 70%. I don't expect 100%. You can't always have your, your A game. But whatever it is you do have, you say, Lord, this is all I've got. I've got nothing left in the tank. I can barely get through this day, but I'm gonna give you, it's like the widow's might. Right? She didn't have what everyone else had, but she's like, this is all I've got. Right? Give the Lord just whatever it is you've got. If it's 10%, you just go, this is what I have, Lord. I'm sorry, I wish I had more, but I don't. This is when God meets you in that place, and he becomes your strength. You're not trying to muster up and fill yourself up with 100%. That's not how this works. And Paul says this, Right before his words on contentment in Philippians 4, chapter 6, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers, so for you who are weak and faint-hearted, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, anything that's lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence you can see in your life, anything, anything worthy of praise, think about those things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, look again what he says, practice these things. Do the reps, church. Think about the things that are praiseworthy and honorable in your life. Preach them to yourself. Not promising the fog's gonna lift right away, but we have to practice these things with the good and right reps. And look what happens. The God of peace will be with you. That's better than even the peace of God. The God of peace is better than the peace of God. We get the actual God, not just his stuff. Now for the idol. If your weakness maybe is sin, as I've mentioned today, some, some of us might be struggling with some besetting sins. Maybe you haven't been fighting the way you should be. First of all, confession. Repentance is good, but you can't repent without first confession. We need to confess we need to confess. Is it lust? Is it jealousy? Is it anger? Bitterness? Hiding those things, bottling them won't make them go away. They'll just grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So I encouraged our, our boys at the camping trip to push their dads into doing fight clubs because it's easier to pull weeds than it is to pull oak trees. And I've heard, this is awesome, I've heard, I've, I've counted 10 boys in the last couple of weeks that have had fight clubs. Right, So this is good news, teaching these boys to pull weeds before they grow into big adult-sized sins. But for you adult-sized people, it's not too late to pull those oak trees out, just a lot more work. So we need to admit more our weaknesses because we need more of the power of God to pull those oak trees. So your confession's got to be bigger. It's got to be more honest, more vulnerable. Because we have bigger selfishness, bigger problems with lust, bigger issues with anger, and I told you men at that camping trip, there is no place for anger in the life of a Christian man. And that's for the ladies too, but I'm just calling you dads out, you husbands out, right? There's, there's no place for, for jealousy and bitterness in the heart and life of a Christian man or woman. We need to do battle against these things. But we don't have the strength to do it. We don't have the power to uproot our sin. We need the power of God to do this. And we can't do that unless we first confess these sins confess these weaknesses so that the power of God can come in and crucify the flesh in our lives if we don't do that you're going to continue to live that idle life and that thing's just going to fester and grow into an oak tree a bigger oak tree can't do that we need to put off our sin church we can't be idle we've got to put away that pride that granddaddy of all of these cousin sins that self-righteous stubbornness and we got to accept the fact that we are sinners, that we need help, and we need the help of others. And for all of us, continually preach the gospel to yourself. Learn to do it. Build that trellis. Build things into your life. Time and prayer, scripture memory, morning devotions, community group, coffee with friends, fight clubs with friends, reading good books, listening to podcasts. Build a trellis in your life so that you are practicing constantly every corner of your day of your life you got something that's just attacking your flesh right all kinds of different things not just one thing not just sunday church no we need we need a multi-front offense going against our sin we've got to build that trellis um you guys remember we had a couple months back we showed you guys the, the life maps the brochures if you're kind of looking for trellis pieces to add to your life grab one of those out at the connection booth got great resources, great books, great podcasts, great sermons online. If you're going, man, I need more of this in my life. I don't know where to go. That's a good starting point. It's not the only resource out there, but it's a good starting point. So I want to close. I want to thank the Lord with his, um, thank him for his power. But I want to ask him again that he would convince us that weakness is the way, that confession is is the way, that contentment in our weakness is the way. We have to be convinced of that. Because it's scary just to jump out of the airplane of confession. 
right, and just open up your mouth and tell people, hey, I'm, I'm fearful of this, I'm insecure about this, I'm sinning this this way. That's a scary thing. It's like, like jumping off a perfectly good airplane. Why would I do that? But we have to be convinced that that is where the Lord meets us and gives us strength. So let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, you are such a good, good father, righteous in all your ways, perfect in all of your ways, compassionate in all of your ways, just and merciful, gracious and kind. And we can trust your word. We can trust that your word is true, that your word is good, that your wisdom saturates your word, and so we look at these things, and they're so antithetical to how we live, confessing weaknesses, boasting in weaknesses, content with weakness. This sounds like crazy talk. There's no way we can get strength or success. But this is, this is your economy. Our ways are not your ways. Your thoughts aren't our thoughts. And your way to strength is not our way to strength. Teach us. Teach us how to be confident in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ would rest upon us. Help us in our community groups this week, hopefully as we confess these things one to another. Or maybe in fight clubs with dads and boys or with friends. As we hang out with each other and spend time with each other and even texting each other, whatever, help us become more and more vulnerable and honest and truthful about our weaknesses because we want, we need your power to work in us, to strengthen us, to empower us. We cannot do this on our own. We can't do this in our own strength. And so help us, Lord. Convince our minds. Change our hearts. We love you. We thank you. Thank you, God, for your great promises. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, the very powerful name of Jesus, the name above all names, we pray and ask all these things. Amen.